Well, hello, everybody. It's time for the MOH podcast. I'm Jim Patton, your host. Welcome back. And I say welcome back because if you haven't listened to podcast number 26, you need to go back and listen to that one. Basically, they started with a a morning session and uh, took a break for lunch and came back and finished the session after lunch. So you're going to jump into this one. You won't have any idea what's been going on. So go back and listen to number 26. And uh, from there, you'll know everything you need to know about this one. Won't take a lot of time to say too much about it because it's already been started. This is the second part of uh, which probably would have been uh, maybe a couple hours or more altogether told um, of a session on uh, four fundamental needs. And it's for, uh, it, it appears to be primarily for those people, again, who were listening to this that were in ministry uh, as we get on to the last two um, needs. And uh, so there's not much more to say about that one, except for, I guess I would say this, uh, get out your Bible or pencil and paper to take notes, because during this session, he um, asks people to read out uh, scriptures, scripture references, and for the most part, you can't really hear them. So if you want to hear what the scriptures are saying, you either got to look them up and read them as you go along, or write them down so you can look them up, uh, look them up afterwards. And uh, so other than that, we're ready to go. Here's Winky with part two, Fundamental Needs. Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, we bless you this afternoon for another chance to study your word. Thank you. We can worship you and we can praise you and we can love you. And we ask you this afternoon again to help us as we study your word. Give us revelation of yourself. We don't want facts, Lord. We want more than facts. We want facts that make sense to our hearts. We want facts that bring us closer to Jesus Christ. We want revealed facts. We want illuminated facts. We want facts that go off like fireworks in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name you give us wisdom. Amen. All right. Now, could you write down, please? The third fundamental need we have. Uh, one, I'm going to test you on these, so remember these first two. By the way, we're hoping to deal with these things in a multiplicity of levels, and if you can remember just these things and roughly what they are, that, that'll be fine. But others, you know, we deal with all kinds of different levels. Some of you brand new Christians, you're just barely out of pampas. And others of you are deeply heavy. You know, I've been into steak dinners for the last 82 years. So you get what you like out of this. I'll just teach it on different levels and you pick out whatever you can handle. All right? And uh, if, if there's something you don't know what, what in the fat is he talking about, man? I never, what is that? Then don't worry, just plow on and uh, grab what you can. Next one we want to put down is power. And this is a purely, uh, this is probably the simplest and easiest one to demonstrate. Even in the physical realm, you live by borrowed energy. We just took a break. What did we take a break for? Lunch. What was lunch? Well, I'm not going to ask you whether you went to Big Mac or Colonel Sanders. Went home and had an 82-course meal. Glutton. What I say is this. What you did there is put some chemical fuel in this incredible complex system God has designed called your body. You live by borrowed energy. As a matter of fact, it's a simple rule of life is this. You cannot survive without power. The whole of the universe is running down. In order to stay alive, there must be a constant input of energy into your system. Now, most of our 
physical universe survives by an input of energy into a system, uh, ultimately which comes from a thermonuclear furnace up in the sky called the sun. And that includes carbon, fuels, fossil fuels, oil, stuff, all of that. Ultimately, the energy is derived from the sun. Process of uh, growth and that is all uh, takes place with sunlight and when all the fields are buried and the animals died and squashed and we made oil out of them and all of that. Most of our energy is derived ultimately from that furnace up there. Now that should go out. There would be curtains for mankind in very short order. An unearthly cold and unearthly darkness. The sun suddenly should just go out like that. Do you know how long we would survive? Very, very few days. Photosynthesis would break down, the oxygen would start getting more and more difficult, uh, no carbon dioxide would be transferred anymore, oxygen would get burned up, it'd be dark, it'd be cold, you'd have to light fires, that would eat up more oxygen. It'd be a scary thing. Can you imagine what happened around Jesus Christ when somebody yelled, some nut yelled, you're really the son of God, why don't you prove it? The Father switched out the lights of the universe. You mean you're standing there yelling and screaming and suddenly there's an unearthly darkness right across the land? And you think, oops, I was only kidding. <laughs> I didn't really mean it. When you know that all of life is dependent on that thing up there, and when the Son of God is giving his life, the sun in the sky, God just cuts it off for a little short time. A gigantic cosmic parable. When that life goes out, so does yours. Unbelievable illustration. So the Bible says it was darkness across the face of the land. There was no speaking during that time. People went around, what is happening? I don't know. It was kind of like an earthquake. Now, an earthquake came indeed. Power. Now I want to introduce you to, how many would like to make a million dollars or a billion? For godly reasons, of course. All right, there you go. All right, now... If you do, then all you have to do is come up with a new energy source. Then you could write your own ticket, anyway. A new energy source. Maybe work out how gravity can work for you. Gravitics or something. Some, uh, I think it was Einstein who said that if we had to spend as much time on the mother magnetism as we have on the child electricity, we'd have already gone to the stars. You crack it. You can write your own ticket anywhere. That is if somebody doesn't kill you first, of course. Because you see, our whole systems operate under the need for power. We have to have power. And the whole of our ecology is an energy transfer system where there's energy shifting out. We have, uh, I have some friends who are studying the, the human body, not as a chemical machine, but as a complex physical, spiritual, psychological entity, all kinds of wild things find out that the body can self-diagnose its own illnesses. God has designed this incredible complexity into you. It's most astonishing. A million miles beyond the Mickey Mouse picture people have of the body as a bag of chemicals reacting to its environment. Things that cannot be explained in terms of simple, ordinary, straightforward chemical reactions. But, I want to give you now a, um, we'll call this, we'll call this a lesson in physics. All right? This is called the second law of thermodynamics. And you don't even have to know this to get to heaven. But this is a cool principle. 
That second law is probably the most well-established law in all of physics. Now, the law is a bit complex, the way it's stated, so we, don't, we won't get into that too deeply. It has to do with a concept called entropy, which is the measure of unavailability of energy in a system. But let's just make a corollary to this law, and we'll say this. One of the implications of this law is that in the universe, there is a constant tendency to go from the high and to the low, from the complex to the simple, from the orderly to the disorderly. At the natural flow, and the universe is always in that direction. In other words, left to itself, there will always be an increasing disorder, an increasing simplification, and an increasing uh, loss of energy left to itself. That naturally, the universe never goes this way. It never goes naturally from the low to the high energy state. It never goes naturally from the symbol to the complex. It never goes naturally from the disorderly to the orderly. I had a physics professor in Australia, he wrote to me, he said, I know the second law of thermodynamics is true because you want to see my desk every Monday morning. The natural flow from the orderly to the disorderly. Now, say you sat here in this lecture for the next 90 years. You never got up, you just sat here. You would notice, after the first 15 years or so, a progression from the complex to the simple. <laughs> this is called rotting. And uh, from the orderly to the disorderly. All these bits dropping off you as you sat here, see? From a high energy state to a low. We are, and see, that's the, that's the tendency of our universe. That's the way it goes. Now, in order to bring order into this system, and here's why I'm giving you this law, you must put an investment in that system of an energy level one order higher than where you're trying to bring this thing to, and it requires two things. It requires, first of all, an investment of energy. So we'll say it requires power at least one order higher than the system you're trying to reorder. Because you see, you can never, this law says you can't put in, energy is not 100% efficient. When you put it in a system, you always waste some. Some always is wasted. And then secondly, you need an investment of intelligence one order higher. Now let's put that very simply. Let's say you just went out to eat and when you sat down there was a nice plate and a nice washed fork and spoon and knife sitting in front of you, a nice paper plate and clean desk. See, and then they bought food and they put it on. This is called orderly. And then you ate it. And what you've got left is this mess there, right? Now, that's moved from the orderly to the disorderly, from the complex to the simple. Now you've got less a mess. How do you bring order to this mess? What you do is it's called washing the dishes and cleaning up. And in order to wash a plate, first of all, you have to have more energy than the plate. And secondly, you have to be smarter than the plate. That's a very simple lesson, right? In order to wash a plate, you have to be smarter than it, and you have to have more energy than it. Then you grab the plate, you wash it, and then you think, hmm, this plate needs to go up here, and you order it. 
You make an investment of energy in that system which brings it up to a more complex, more orderly level, and you wasted some of your energy. That's called sweat. Or perspiration, if you will. I just perspired slightly. Pass me my band. Why have I said all of that? Because that second law is the most widely established law in the universe. It also happens to be a fact of the moral universe. Left to yourself, you will go from the complex to the simple, from the orderly to the disorderly, from a high state of energy to a low. The only thing that can reverse that trend is an investment in your life of a higher order of power and intelligence. It's the only way that trend can be reversed. Romans 5 tells us there's been a moral fall in the universe and that man, left to himself, will always get worse. The only way you can arrest that tendency, which is described in the book of Revelation like this, let him that is filthy be still more filthy. Let him that is righteous be still more righteous. The only way you can invest the tendency downward, arrest it and reverse it, is to put in energy and wisdom higher than the order of your system. And that demands supernatural investment in your life. It's a simple thing. Without Jesus Christ, who directly supplies power and wisdom, you will go down. There is no escape from that law. And what is funny is this. I preached this in Cambridge one time. Cambridge in England is an engineering college. Everybody understands this law. But there's a lot of students listening, and I knew they're thinking like this. Well, I got time to make up my mind about Jesus Christ. Give me time. You know, I've got to finish college, got a few things I'm going to do. But the point of this law is this. Time is against you. It doesn't work for you. The more time you have, the more disorder there is. So I said, you think you can get away with it. But the more time you, put, you allow to go past, the more disorder there will be in your system. And it is not time that changes a person who is Jesus Christ. And you might think, look, I'm not going to give everything I've got to God. I'm not going to really surrender. I'm not going to really allow him to do this in my life. What I'm going to do is just give me a bit of time. I'll work things out. No, you won't. I'll give you time and you'll be worse than you are now. I'll give you time and you'll go downwards from where you are now. Given enough time, you'll be completely out of it. Time is one thing you do not have. That's why the Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is it. Today is the day of salvation. Now tomorrow. How many young Christians have thought, I am not really serving God now, but give me time and I will? Time will not do it. That's what I thought. I thought, if only, maybe when I'm 40, I'll really be serving the Lord. The moment I'm 18, I can bop around, do a bunch of stuff. God showed me. It's not time. I change you, not time, me. Okay? Now, we need then power in our lives. Is there power in the universe available for us? Spiritual power that lifts us above our own weaknesses and our own inadequacies. And the answer is yes, there surely is. And you will find this in a lot of places in the Bible. Probably the most common one is Acts 1.8. Can anybody quote that from memory? But ye shall receive power after that 
the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Jesus never designed that Christian work should be done without an input of energy. Would you do work without any input of energy? The Bible says fast and pray, not fast and work. See? You've gone put out, you've got dig ditches, I'm going to fast for the next 40 days, but I'm going to be digging ditches and stuff. You die. You need energy. Well, how are you going to go out and do the work of Christ with that power? That's a physical law. It's unbreakable. It's there in the universe. It probably took place when the universe was created or maybe when it fell, but all I know is it's the most fundamentally established thing there is. You won't break it. If you have no power in, you will not be able to get the job done. And yet there are Christians who believe they can carry out the work of God without supernatural power. And they work themselves to a bone, and all they get is bony fingers. Now, let me give you a few scriptures on this. Maybe some of you like to read, read out these. First in the book of Romans. Romans. Chapter 1 and verse 19 through to 20. Somebody want to read that verse out? Verse 19 through to 20. Those two verses. Romans chapter 1. We'll see how big this power is first. Somebody got it? Who got it? You got it? Nice loud voice. Romans 1, 19 and 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world with invisible attitudes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That's a heavy verse. You know what that says? It says that the heavens are testimony to the power of God. That that which has been made around you speaks to you about something concerning God's nature. And let me give you an example. You can do this probably up here a little bit. I couldn't do it when I lived in Burbank. I lived in Hollywood Burbank for a year and a half, where the birds get up in the morning and go... <laughs> but sometimes, you can do this, especially get out in the desert, you can see the stars. And what is a wild thing to do is lie on the grass some night or on the sand if you're out in the desert and look at the stars. And just consider how big and how vast that universe is out there. I have a book in which there's a Dutch uh, artist and scientist who's put together. It's a really wild book. The only book in the world you can start anywhere and still make, just make sense of it. You start in the middle and read both ways. Start at one end and read the end or read from the end back to the front. And what it is, it starts with a little girl sitting in a rocking chair with a cat in her arms, rocking. And then it keeps taking pictures, getting further and further back. The next shot, you see her sitting in a yard, and she's about this big. And uh, beside her, there's a dead whale. And then she's in the schoolyard. And then the next shot's way, way up. And you see the schoolyard in a big shape and a tiny little dot in the middle. And you're going up thousands of jumps at a time. And finally, boom, you see the whole of Europe. This little dot there, see a radio wave, which is a gigantic thing, and then another jump, and you're right out of Earth, and there's Earth there, and then another jump, and finally Earth's just a little dot, and then another huge jump, and another huge jump, until finally you start seeing some of the other planets, and then another jump, and then there's this star, and then another jump, and this darkness, and then another gigantic jump, still darkness, then another huge jump, for the first time another star comes into view. 
And then it keeps jumping, jumping, jumping. So finally it's darkness again. Then you start seeing this little dot, and that's our galaxy. And then another jump. And then you start seeing other galaxies around. And your hair just more and more until finally it jumps one more time. The limits of the universe and these tiny little dots, and it just goes on apparently forever. And that comes back. There's a girl again, and it goes in. You see a finger, you see a mosquito biting her. It goes into the mosquitoes, and there's a little salt crystal there. It goes deeper and deeper into the skin, starts magnifying by quantum jump, like this. Now, when you see all of that, you know this. Man is the center of a microcosm and a macrocosm. Something very, very small, worlds that go beyond into the world of the atom, and something very, very large. And we're right in the center of all of that. And there's significance in that. God has placed you in the middle of all of that because no matter how big there is out there, that's all the creation of his word. He just spoke it into existence. Can you imagine he said, like be, and there it was. Ooh, all of that. I don't have any problem, by the way, of God creating the heavens and the earth in six days. Some people have real problems with that. They go, why? I don't understand that. How can that possibly be? Well, Henry Ford made a car, and it took him 30 years to make it because he had to learn so many things. Now we can make a car in less than 18 hours. Some would debate whether this car was as good as Henry Ford's, but the truth is that 30 years can be reduced to 18 hours if you increase the amount of information or intelligence and the amount of power available. So, time shrinking is a function of available intelligence and power. Now, what does that say to you? It says the higher the level of intelligence and the higher the level of available energy, the greater the amount of time shrinking can take place. So, when you hit a God of infinite intelligence and infinite power, is there any big problem of Him making the world if He wanted to in six literal days? I have a problem, and that is why did it take Him so long? Why does it take six days? Why didn't you down the whole lot was there? And I think the only reason why he spent six days is so you'll know you were prepared for. That it wasn't a last minute thought. Oh, I think I'll make man in the universe. Bam, there it is. You were prepared for. He took time. So you know. You were thought about. Long, long time before time. Okay, that's power. Let me give you a few more scriptures now. Uh, Psalm 62, I've got three, three psalms, so I want somebody to uh, put your hand up and I'll call you out for, uh, for this. Psalm 62, verse 11. Then, then uh, Psalm 66, verse 7, surely. And then uh, Psalm 145, verse 11. Okay. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 11. Uh, hear what that is? Who does it belong to? It belongs to God. Ultimately, all power belongs to God. As any kind of power. It is, ultimately. Okay. Shirley, you got the next one, uh, 66, 7. Let not the rebellious exalt himself. He rules by his might or his power forever. God's rulership is established in power. Some... 145 verse 11. Oh, that's all right. 145 will do. 
this New Zealand accent of mine. I really must work on changing it. Who will do this? That's right. They will all speak about the power of God. Do you realize how powerful his power is? When we mess around with thermonuclear energy, he spoke the sun into existence with a single word. He upholds... Look, anybody got a nickel? I'm not taking up a click. Perhaps I am. I got a nickel. See this thing? If I convert the mass of half this nickel into energy, all of Osborne neighborhood church would vanish off the map. Half of the population of L.A. would vanish off the map. The energy locked up in this half nickel. As a matter of fact, the mass of half the nickel converted into energy is what took Hiroshima out. That's just half a nickel. Do you know how much energy is locked up in your being? Converted, all the matter, converted into pure energy would blow the world off its hinges. That's just one person. And that just came because he spoke. Boom, beep, boom, and there it is. Glued together by divine statements. All right, let me give you some more. Micah 3.8. Who wants to find Micah's a little heavier to find? It's not like your average Axe and John. Who wants to have a go at Micah? Okay, Micah 3.8. Zechariah 4.6. Who wants to have a hack at Zech? Okay, Zech 4.6. And then Luke Four fourteen. Who wants to look at Luke? You? Luke four fourteen? And uh, we know Acts one eight. Okay. Um, let's try those. Micah three eight. Who got Micah Micah three eight? Read it out. What gives a man power? The Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit. And next, we have Zechariah 4 6. What an incredible Bible. <laughs> One of those ones where you rip it out if you don't agree with it. <laughs> Loose leaf Bibles are great, aren't they? Has anybody else got something? Uh, okay. <laughs> Friends, this shows serious weaknesses in modern translations, so they forget to translate. 4-6. King Jimmy to the rescue. No? You have. Yeah, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. These are two forms of power that people recognize. God says mine. Is the only one that counts. It comes down to front. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay, who has got Luke 4, 14? And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and this about his spread throughout the surrounding district. When he came back, he came back with power, and then the new spread. So let's say this. You can have the right apologetics. You can be really loving. But the transformation of people's lives comes by the implementation of power. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is the executive agent of the Godhead. He is a person who brings power into our lives. Every person who wants to work for God must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
without which you are powerless to do the job God has called you to do. Without that thing, I'm weak as another man. I need that power. I look on it like Superman's cloak. Um, your regular old Clark Kent-looking evangelist, and uh, you lock yourself away with God, and then you, this big ass appears on your shirt, and then you come out like this. You will believe a man can preach, you know, by the power of the Holy Ghost is the one who transforms you and makes you more than what you normally are. There's an interesting verse in the book of Acts. It says, these men are not drunken as you suppose. It doesn't say these men are not drunk. It says they're not drunk the way you think they're drunk. And there's another verse in Ephesians. It says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that is not a contrast. It is a comparison. A man who is drunk is bigger than he normally thinks he is. He goes, yeah, you think he'll push me around, man? And then he's braver than he normally is. And he thinks he's smarter than he normally is. Hey, let me tell you this one. You'll like this one, see? When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, it makes you bigger than you normally are, makes you braver than you normally are, and makes you smarter than you normally are. They give you more smarts than a targeting computer. And uh, you can ride down that Death Star by photon torpedo in the heart of it. All right. Then, let us give you one more verse. Many, many times uh, in the Scripture, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is not just words, but power. Uh, Jesus said, um, well, you can scribble these Scriptures down, you have to, don't have to look them up. Uh, Matthew 22 and verse 29. Matthew 22 and verse 29. Mark 9, 1. Mark 9, 1. Uh, Acts 4, 7, and 33. Romans 1, 4. Romans 1, 4. And 1 Corinthians 4, 20. 1 Corinthians 4, 20. Now, one last scripture. Matthew 28, 18, and 20. Let's look that up. Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20. This is such a neat scripture. Want to read it together? Matthew 28, 18, 20. That's assuming that it's in your translations. Matthew 18. I mean, 28, 18 to 20. Ready, got it? Let's read it together. Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. You think the implications of that. All power is given unto me, and lo, I am with you. Always even to the end of the world, the end of the age. Power. We have one more final thing. And with this one, we're quit. That is, worship. Does this seem strange that this is a fundamental need of man? It seems strange that we put it up there, which is so obviously a Christian thing. Not at all. Man is unique. 
in that this, quite unlike animal, quite unlike any other creature God ever made, is a passion for worship. He constantly wants to give himself to something bigger than himself and conform his life to be like it. And today, what is very interesting is that in the first of the Ten Commandments, if you were God and you were going to make a series of commandments about what people ought to do and the very bare minimum legal requirements, what would be the first commandment you would give them? Wouldn't it be something like this, Thou shalt believe in me? But isn't it interesting that nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to believe in God or in a God? Because the Bible assumes that man will worship, that he cannot exist without worshiping. And so the first commandment does not say believe in God. It says believe in the right one. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. That if you're going to worship, make sure you worship the right God and put him first. And it does never command you not to be an atheist. Because it seems to assume that there is no such thing as a real atheist. The man who calls himself an atheist is really a fool. Why does God not say, believe in me? Because you will believe in a God somewhere. Even if it's only yourself. You may sing it like this, I did it my way. Then you're your own God. And one of the problems with society is that everybody is their own God. They do their own thing, go their own way, live their own lives. Don't care about God at all. All right, what actually is worship? A lot of people have written books on worship. It seems like we are made to give ourselves to something higher and more beautiful or higher and more uh, awesome than ourselves, to some, some challenge or some personification of an ideal bigger than ourselves. And we need that. We must have it. And it is the tension between what we are and what we want to be that is part of mental well-being and mental health. If you ever get a chance to pick this little book up and read it, do so. It is called Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning is by a Viennese psychiatrist who is a doctor called Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl's book, the book I had, it was page 165 to 166. He says that a lot of people today say that what we really need to be healthy is some form of balance or equilibrium. That man needs to be balanced out. He needs to be mellow. He needs to be laid back. He needs to have no tensions in him. Isn't that what you hear? We need to reduce tension. So that we just have a tensionless state. This is man's greatest healthy state. And Frankl says this is a dangerous misconception. If you read his book, it's a very heavy little book because first of all it's a story. What he did in, in, in the war, he was locked up in uh, concentration camps, locked up in Auschwitz and places like this, 
And he stood in line, being uh, Jewish, and he watched his relatives and family and friends in the line with them. And one German went left, right, left, right, arbiter, you know, just left, right. And he, the ones who went off to the left went off the gas chambers. The ones who went off to the right were kept. And he said each time he stood and just saw his closest friends and relatives just gone, fed into a gas chamber. And then he survived. And then stood up again, just two or three weeks later, and again, that process. And again, he just missed it. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to be put in a camp with all your closest friends all in the line like this, and each time you just missed it? And the tremendous tension that would come in your life. And he said, he saw a man, strong man, powerful man, intellectual man, totally breakdown, shattered. Their minds go like jelly. Just gave up and lay down and died. Long before physically they had that Here's some of the things that the guards gave the meaningless, backbreaking work. Picking up a load of rocks, huge rocks, carrying it at great difficulty from one end of the camp, putting it down to the other. And when they had shifted the entire pile, ordered to pick them up and take them back again. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And so people just blew away. They just went, ah, and flipped out. And he sat in the middle of that, a psychiatrist, and he watched one by one people's minds snap under the strain. And he thought, some people just go through it. Some people make it each time they made it. Subjected to unbelievable pressures to try and make him snap. They wouldn't snap. And he began to be interested. Imagine a guy clinically able to stand out of all of this thing that he's in and analyze and say, I wonder why this is happening. Incredible, man. And what he came to the conclusion was this, that each of the people who made it had set themselves a goal. And he'd see a guy and he'd say this, I don't care what they do to me. They can beat me and punish me, short of killing me. They will not snap my will. And by April of next year, I'm going to be out of this place and I'm going to be alive and I'm going to laugh at them. And they'd put this pressure on and they'd just, they'd come through and put more on and come through. And then April would come. One of two things would happen. Either the guys would say, well, by next April, and make it another year, or they'd just lie down and die. Just plain give up. You ever heard this thing? A guy's been working hard 20 or 30 years, and then he's retired, they give him a gold watch, and they put him off to pasture, and three months he's dead? What happened? He lost his goals. He had nothing more bigger than himself to give himself to. And Frankel said it is inherent in the mental well-being of a person to have a goal bigger than yourself to give yourself to. And if you do not have it, you will die. Now, isn't that something? We'll say this, if you do not worship, you will die. If you don't have something bigger and more beautiful than yourself to give yourself to, to follow a gap between what you are and what you want to be, then you will mentally die and it won't be shortly after that you physically die. Why do you think People who get involved, and some of you have been involved in like drugs or immorality or something, and it looked like there was no way out except to kill yourself. Because no longer did you have a goal to give yourself to. You weren't anything. You'd just been kicked around like any other bit of junk on the street. And then Jesus came and said, I know your name and I know your destiny. Stand up and follow me. And suddenly it didn't matter anymore what people thought of you. And people called you a dung heap and this and that, but you didn't care. 
Because he knew you who you were. And that's what is so neat about God. He knows who you are. He says, I'll give you a new name. And I've got a... I count the hairs of your head. Other people don't even know your first name, but I know. I count... If I call you, I'd be, hey, you over there with a thatch. It will be, hey, stand up, Simon, or whatever your name is. I have a purpose for you. I have a destiny for you. And that has been horribly mysterious in our day. You think of the counterfeits, which we look at beginning tonight, and you tell me whether people need to worship or not. You can look at countries politically, and you'll see the absolute need for worship. They eradicate God and have to replace somebody else. You cannot take worship out of a culture. If you remove it, it will die. Worship is intrinsic to man's spiritual or psychic needs. Now, there they are. Those four things. There may be others, and you may come up with others. But those four I consider absolute essentials for spiritual survival. Without those four, you will not be able to survive. And I'll say this. God is the only person who can meet those four needs fully. Nobody else. You cannot discover real love, lasting love, eternal love from anybody else except Jesus Christ. Your closest friend. Your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, your family, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiancé. Nobody can give you love like God can. And you put your final love in a person or a thing other than God, you thoroughly deserve the heartbreak that comes down on you. You will not make it. Secondly, nobody can give us wisdom like God. He is the only one who is infinite and personal, who can speak to us and show us what is really true in a world full of absolute contradiction. A total hustling of information. Thirdly, only God can supply that power. Not only now, but forever. He who put the stars together, who spoke into being thermonuclear reactions, he's the only one who can give you power. Fourthly, he is the one totally worthy of your worship. If I wanted to sum up the role of the Godhead, I would say this. It is the Father's purpose to reveal his love for you that the Son is the one who is in charge of wisdom. He is called the wisdom of the church. He's called the head of the church. And the head, as one Carlos of Peace points out, not only has to come up with being the leader, but has to come up with the answers. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit, the executive person of the Godhead, is the one who is in charge of the transfer of power. And our worship is directed to that triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Adequately and fully worthy of our worship. There they are, four fundamental needs. And that's all I'm going to give you this afternoon. Any questions? Any questions? I want you to think about these four tonight because I'm going to erase these off the board with no cheating. Tonight I'm going to ask you what those four needs are, and we're going to explore four counterfeits which have come in our time. We'll see how we can... You think of the counterfeits of these. See what you come up with. You're the devil. You wanted to take over the world. You have to replace those. You can't ignore them. What would you come up with? You'd probably come up with variations within that theme. See what you come up with. I'll give you my choice for the two 
for the four top counterfeits of our day that launched the first counterculture. See what you come up with. Okay, that's it. Finish. All righty, there you go. That's the third and fourth fundamental need. This, again, is um, primarily would appear uh, aimed at those in the... Uh, uh, who are in full-time ministry or involved in ministry somehow as he talks about the power needed, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit that's needed. So uh, that's it. We're going to end it uh, with with that, and uh, we'll see you next time for another episode of the MOH podcast. And don't forget to stop by moh.org, moh.org, to find your free uh, downloads and uh, videos that you can watch and uh, acquire more knowledge from the, uh, the teachings of Winky Prattney. Thanks a lot. See you later.